Welcome back, Hemingbrainiacs, to the Hemingbrainiac podcast. Whoa, my screen's bright. It just blew my face off. Uh, what are we talking about? Book 10, chapter 29. I think, come on, I mean, I think the battle is starting. People have fired cannons. That means a battle has started. Apologies, I did miss um, chapter 28. Uh, in terms of the discussion forum, we didn't put a discussion forum up. Uh, Rahul the Invader says, I reckon the thread of chapter 28 is missing. Yes, it was. Uh, and F- Fragrant Squirrel says, I got a little bit behind and did some catching up today. Are we supposed to be on chapter 28 or 29? Uh, it's funny how much confusion one little mistake can make. My apologies. Um... But thanks for bearing with me. The discussion prompts, what is your interpretation of Napoleon's mood for this chapter and what do you think is about to happen? Fran Zepp says, Tolstoy is great at the build-up to the actual fighting in his war chapters. A whole chapter of Napoleon bouncing around, feeling restless, has left me feeling the same and I want to see what happens to our characters. Also, I loved Napoleon's line, what good is medicine when they can't cure a cold? I think the same thing when I've got a cold and the relatability of this even 150 years later really made me laugh. <laughs> that is true. That is still true. That's funny. Um, Fragrant Squirrel 99 says, It's interesting how Tolstoy is trying to get into the head of someone like Napoleon. I haven't really gotten into the war chapters as much as the others, but it is interesting this time. It is interesting, and... Uh, yeah, the war chapters... The battle bits of the war chapters, I think, are always good. Um, some of the, you know, the build-up or the military strategy bits, they can be a bit slow, but the battle's always good. And this particular battle coming up, if I remember correctly, is good. So that's something to be excited about. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, The question remains, what about the rice? What about the rice? What about the ricin? The ricin, you're Mr. White. Um, Alright, let's read the next chapter. Chapter 30. 30. On returning to Gorky after having seen Princess... Sorry. On having seen Prince Andre, Pierre ordered his groom to get the horses ready and co- to call him early in the morning and then immediately fell asleep behind a partition in a corner Boris had given up to him. Before... He was thoroughly awake next morning. Everybody had already left the hut. The panes were rattling in the windows, and his groom was shaking him. Your Excellency, Your Excellency, Your Excellency, he kept repeating pertinaciously while he shook Pierre by the shoulder without looking at him, having apparently lost hope of getting him to wake up. What? Has it begun? Is it time? Pierre asked, waking up. Hear the firing, said the groom, a discharged soldier. All the gentlemen have gone out and His Serene Highness himself rode past long ago. Pierre dressed hastily and ran out to the porch. Outside, all was bright, fresh, dewy and cheerful. The sun, just bursting forth from behind a cloud that had concealed it, was shining, with rays still half broken by the clouds, over the roofs of the street opposite, on the dew-sprinkled dust of the road, on the walls of the houses, on the windows, the fence, and on Pierre's horses standing before the hut. The roar of guns sounded more distinct outside. An adjutant, accompanied by a Cossack, passed by at a sharp trot. It's time, Count, it's time, cried the adjutant. 
Telling the groom to follow him with the horses, Pierre went down the street to the knoll from which he had looked at the field of battle the day before. A crowd of military men was assembled there. Members of the staff could be heard conversing in French, and Kutuzov's grey head in a white cap with a red band was visible. His grey nape sunk between his shoulders. He was looking through a field glass down the high road before him. Mounting the steps to the knoll, Pierre looked at the, at the scene before him, spellbound by beauty. It was the same panorama he had admired from that spot the day before, but now the whole place was full of troops and covered by smoke clouds and from guns, and the slanting rays of the bright sun, rising slightly to the left behind Pierre, cast it through the clear morning air, penetrating streaks of rosy gold-tinted light and long dark shadows. The forest at the farthest extremity of the panorama seemed carved in some precious stone of a yellowish-green colour. Its undulating outline was silhouetted against the horizon and was pierced beyond Valuvo by the Smolensk High Road, crowded with troops. Nearer at hand glittered gold cornfields interspersed with copses. There were troops to be seen everywhere, in front to, and to the right and left, all this was vivid, majestic, and unexpected, but what impressed Pierre most of all was the view of the battlefield itself, as Borodino, and the hollows on both sides of the Kolocha. Above the Kolocha, in Borodino, and on both sides of it, especially to the left where the Voina, flowing between its marshy banks, falls into the Kolocha, a mist had spread which seemed to melt, to dissolve, and to become translucent when the brilliant sun appeared and magically coloured and outlined everything. The smoke of the guns mingled with this mist, and over the whole expanse and through that mist the rays of the morning sun were reflected, flashing back like lightning from the water, from the dew, and from the bayonets of the troops crowded together by the riverbanks and in Borodino. A white church could be seen through the mist, and here and there the roofs of huts in Borodino as well as dense masses of soldiers, or green ammunition chests and ordnance. And all this moved, or seemed to move, as the smoke and mist spread out over the whole space. Just as in the mist-enveloped hollow near Borodino, so along the entire line outside and above it, and especially in the woods and fields to the left, in the valleys and on summits of high ground, clouds of powder smoke seemed continually to spring up out of nothing, now singly, now several at a time, some translucent, others dense, with which, swelling, growing, rolling, and blending, extended over the whole expanse. These puffs of smoke, and strange to say the sound of the firing, produced the chief beauty of the spectacle. Puff! Suddenly a round, compact cloud of smoke was seen merging from violet into grey and milky white, and boom, came the report a second later. Puff, puff! And two clouds arose, pushing one another and blending together, and boom, boom, came the sounds, confirming what the eye had seen. Pierre glanced round at the first cloud which he had seen as a round, compact ball, and in its place already were balloons of smoke floating to one side, and puff with a pause, puff, puff, three and then four more appeared, and then from each, with the same interval, boom, 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 came the fine, firm, precise sounds in reply. It seemed as if these smoke clouds sometimes ran and sometimes stood still, while woods, fields, and Glittering bayonets ran past them. From the left, over fields and bushes, those large balls of smoke were continually appearing, followed by their solemn reports, which 
while nearer still, in the hollows and woods, there burst from the muskets small cloudlets that had no time to become balls, but had their little echoes in just the same way. Truck, ta-ta-tuck, came the frequent crackle of musketry, but it was irregular and feeble in comparison with the reports of the cannon. Pierre wished to be there with that smoke, those shining bayonets, that movement, and those sounds. He turned to look at Kutuzov and his suite to compare his impressions with those of others. They were still all looking at the field of battle as he was, and as it seemed to him, with the same feelings. All their faces were now shining with that latent warmth of feeling Pierre had noticed the day before, and had fully understood after his talk with Prince Andre. Go, my dear fellow, go, and Christ be with you, Kutuzov was saying to a general who stood beside him, not taking his eyes from the battlefield. Having received this order, the general passed by Pierre on his way down the knoll. To the crossing, said the general coldly and sternly, in reply to one of the staff who asked where he was going. I'll go there too. I too, thought Pierre, and followed the general. The general mounted a horse, a Cossack had brought him. Pierre went to his groom, who was holding his horses, and asking which was the quietest, clambered onto it, seized it by the mane, and turning up his toes, pressed his heels against its sides, and feeling that his spectacles were slipping off, but unable to let go of the mane and reins, he galloped after the general, causing the staff officers to smile as they watched him from the knoll. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Pierre, following them into battle. Don't know if that's a great idea. Have your say about that on the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.